Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, June 29th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the New York metropolitan area. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Caroline Ely. And I'm Christina Lulich. And here's What's What near you. We're going to start with some breaking news that came through from the Supreme Court this morning. To provide us with some clarity, we're joined by WFUV's Jay Doherty. Jay, I hear there's been a significant decision made regarding affirmative action. But before we get into today's news, could you explain what affirmative action is? Absolutely. Uh, affirmative action is a policy implemented in the United States to address historical discrimination and promote equal opportunities for marginalized groups, particularly in employment and education. The policy emerged in the 1960s amid the civil rights movement, and it aims to counter the effects of past and present discrimination by considering race, gender, and ethnicity, and other factors as criteria for admission or hiring decisions. So what's the latest from the Supreme Court today? Well, the Supreme Court's decision today stems from two cases brought forward by a group called Students for Fair Admissions. They challenged the use of race-conscious practices at Harvard and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It's worth noting that these schools are the nation's oldest private and public universities, so the decision made today is going to impact all types of higher education institutions in the country. And Jay, what specifically is the group Students for Fair Admissions accusing these universities of doing? Well, Christina, the group says it represents around 20,000 students and argues that Harvard engages in intentional discrimination against Asian American applicants, something that the university denies. The legal challenge itself specifically targets Harvard's use of a, quote, personal rating in their admissions process. Students for Fair Admissions argues that Asian American applicants tend to receive lower personal rating scores compared to black and Latino applicants. These scores are based on factors such as letters of recommendation and an essay. So what the case determined today is whether universities and colleges can consider an applicant's race or ethnicity as a factor in the admissions process. And as we saw today, doing so via the traditional affirmative action method has now been ruled unconstitutional. Affirmative action has been a contentious issue in American education for a while now. So how should we understand this ruling in the context of American history? That's right, Caroline. Context is key to understanding the bigger picture here. Right now, the Supreme Court has a six-justice conservative majority. And to achieve the outcome announced today, the Supreme Court had to overturn a precedent that has been reaffirmed twice over 40 years. Some argue today's decision even goes against the original intent of the framers of the 14th Amendment and the Congress that passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. However, when you factor in the leanings of six out of the nine Supreme Court justices and this court's previous rulings on matters related to race, it is no surprise that precedent carried little weight in their final decision. But speaking of precedent, Jay, have we seen bans on affirmative action elsewhere before? Actually, we have. Yes, eight states have already implemented bans on affirmative action. Some states, such as California, have come up with clever workarounds through outreach programs. So now elite schools around the country are expected to imitate these alternative methods by emphasizing metrics like household incomes, zip codes, targeted recruitment initiatives, and other indirect approaches to maintain their commitment to diversity. But even still, despite these workarounds, it seems there's really no substitute for affirmative action at renowned institutions like Harvard or the University of North Carolina. It's quite a challenge for them, and experts believe that colleges will have to completely revamp their programs to promote racial diversity, while also now being impartial to race. Well, we'll be sure to keep a close eye on the fallout of this case. Jay, thanks so much for coming on the show to give us the latest today. Thanks for having me.
Back here in New York, more Canadian wildfire smoke has arrived in the city and the air quality alert has been extended. The National Weather Service advised sensitive folks, seniors, those with pre-existing respiratory problems, and the very young to limit their time outdoors. They also said to avoid any strenuous activities outdoors. But despite poor air quality, New York City public pools officially opened today. 53 pools across the five boroughs will open from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. with an hour-long break at 3 p.m. But the city's still grappling with a shortage of lifeguards. Currently, the city has about 500 hired, but pre-pandemic levels saw a workforce of roughly 1,400 lifeguards. The city is still actively recruiting lifeguards, and they hope that numbers will increase through July. This week, Mayor Adams and Sanitation Commissioner Jessica Tisch announced their next steps in the war on rats. They've introduced new measures that will require restaurants to containerize their waste instead of just bagging it on the curb. This week marks the 50th anniversary of the Discount Broadway Ticketing Service, TKTS. WFEV's Avery Loftus attended the celebration in Times Square earlier this week. TKTS is a ticketing service that has been granting New Yorkers access to discounted same-day Broadway and off-Broadway tickets for 50 years. They provide these services through a nonprofit organization called the Theater Development Fund. Their 50th celebration was held outside their booth in Times Square. Film, stage, and TV actress S.E. Patham Murkison delivered a speech. There were also performances by several theater groups, including the Broadway Inspirational Voices Choir and piano bar entertainer and actor Franca Vercelloni. The event was also attended by many theater lovers who wanted to express the key role TKTS has played in allowing them to watch their favorite shows. Well, um, for people like me that we come from other countries and we don't have a really good, nice uh, exchange rate, tickets for Broadway can be very expensive and this gives us the opportunity to go to many more shows and access to many more uh, different options, so that's amazing for us. I'm Avery Loftus. WFUV News. Today, Christie's Auction House will be auctioning off some of disco queen Donna Summer's personal items. The items will include memorabilia like jewelry and dresses and some of Summer's own paintings. And here's today's entertainment history. On this day in 1985, Mick Jagger and David Bowie recorded a version of Dancing in the Street. It's the hit cover of the original song by Martha and the Vandellas. The artist recorded the song in an effort to raise money for the live aid famine relief cause. June is Pride Month. Here at WFUV News, we're celebrating by sharing stories highlighting queer voices in New York City. Heritage of Pride is the nonprofit organization that plans and produces New York's official LGBTQIA Pride events. They're responsible for several different celebrations across the city, like the annual Pride March and Pride Island. I sat down with Sue Doster, the co-chair of New York City Pride. We discussed Bliss Days, an event focused on celebrating queer women in the community. We're sitting down today to specifically talk about Bliss Days. So tell me more about that event. 
Absolutely. Bliss Days is one of my favorite events. It's a women's focused event. It's open to anyone who supports and celebrates women. It was previously called Femme Fatale. We actually, at Heritage of Pride, created the dance because we realized there were a lot of specifically men's focused events that took place in Pride Weekend. We wanted to make sure that we had something for women. And we created the dance Femme Fatale. After the pandemic, we did a rebranding to Bliss. But it's a really wonderful event. And we uh, found a really great home for the event. The DL on the Lower East Side is completely redone. There are various different floors. We do have dancers. We have the DJs. We have a performer who I think folks will know. It promises to be a really great evening. Why the rebranding from Femme Fatale to Bliss? Is there any specific reason that was done? I like the name Femme Fatale. Um, (laughs) But we wanted to kind of just refresh it. We also changed the name of the men's dance to Pride Island instead of the Pure Dance. I think folks just were looking to like reinvent many of our events. So Bliss Days You're describing it as a dance. What can people expect if they purchase tickets and attend Bliss Days? There are three different floors where folks can hang out. There are some VIP sections that have like private seating areas, three different DJs. You know, it's multiple parties in one and uh, all women, all women themed There definitely is an appetite for it. I think sometimes, you know, unfortunately, women's clubs and women's parties aren't always spotlit. They're sometimes a little harder to find, which is why it was important for us here to create this space. Another thing I noticed when researching Bliss Days was that it spells women with an X. So women from the LGBTQIA plus community. And instead of the E, there's an X. I was wondering for our listeners, if you could kind of give an explanation as to what this means. Absolutely. And and you see this sometimes, the same thing sometimes with folks, F-O-L-X instead of F-O-L-K-S. It is an effort to be more inclusive. There are just like any community coming together, the women's community, the LGBTQIA plus community, there are women who come who may identify as lesbian, may identify as straight, maybe poly, may have less rigid definitions of gender. So it's a way to open that up to include everyone who identifies as or supports and celebrates all women. What do you hope people take away from Bliss Days? I hope they find just kind of a sense of community. A lot of people really coming out on Pride Weekend, celebrating themselves, celebrating who they are, and just that 
connection because it is very powerful. And I think that's part of the reason that pride is such, it's a personal thing, but it's also a community thing. You never forget your first pride. That was my co-host, WFUV's Christina Lulich, speaking with NYC Pride co-chair Sue Doster about Bliss Days. And that's our show for today. But before we go, consider joining us for this year's Boat experience on August 18th. Join DJs Elisa Ali, Delphine Blue, and Benham Jones for a 90s-inspired night of dancing, trivia, and more. Spots on the cruise around Manhattan usually go fast, so make sure to grab your group of friends and your ticket today on Eventbrite. And don't forget to check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and more. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm Caroline Ely. And that's What's What. <laughs>